Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, everybody. Patrick Connor here. And welcome back to Knuckles and Gloves podcast we're here to do some more history we're not doing a true crime podcast today we've been doing a lot of those lately we will return with them but i am here with my buddy eris pina CompuBox operator and also a fellow fight history file like myself donning the beautiful willie the worm monroe t-shirt <laughs> signature t-shirt collector oh man absolutely what's going on Shit's- man how are you Doing all right, man. Uh, I'm happy to be back. We had a owned little, by little Eddie Futch, by the way, bro. Just I just have to throw that out there. Formerly owned by Eddie Futch. All right. I Willie for real. Monroe. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's absolutely. I that I did not know. Damn. All right yeah. then. So it's not just a, a Willie the Worm. Yeah, shirt, I know it's, it's authenticated because the website I got it from is like the dude's one of the more premier collectors in the entire world of just everything. And if he says it's legit, then it's that definitely. And who else would own a Willie Monroe shirt except Eddie Futch probably, all right? So well, I mean, I I I would believe you and I would believe, you know, your collection because your collection is pretty wild. So that's pretty awesome. <laughs> but what better way well, to I'm like, wearing the shirt for a reason today? And it's because of the subject we're about to get onto. So well, in what better way when you know we we like to I guess we've probably done the most consistent or I if not consistent in terms of pumping them out the most long-term boxing history kind of podcast thing. And I mean, we love this shit and what better way to show that we love this shit than be rocking a shirt that literally like you'll never see anywhere else. That's pretty cool. (laughs) But look, we're, we're here today. The history we're talking. um, It's a subject that it gets talked about fairly often on social media. When boxing history comes up, there are a couple of pretty key players <laughs> that get that get talked about when we when we talk about fighters and fights that have like little or no footage of them and obviously there's going to be a, some sort of cutoff early 1900s where it's just there's just no footage because it wasn't widespread but even so beyond that point there are a lot of entries here a lot of entries where where did that video go was there video why haven't we seen this fighter more of this fighter? So we're here to talk about that type of stuff today. It's it's always debated, you know? Absolutely, man. There's a lot of tape collectors out there who always claim to have rare stuff. Some of it you see, some of it you don't see. But um, there are holy grails that people are, for decades, way before we were born, probably potentially still looking for it after we pass away, um, of footage of fighters out there. Guys that, you know, you hear the names all the time. One guy who's very popular on Twitter, um, Harry Greb, for instance. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, because of the only footage that's out there is of him kind of fooling around shadow boxing and fooling around with Philadelphia Jack O'Brien and uh, 
playful sparring session, more or less, right? And so yeah. everyone bases it off of that and goes, well, what the hell? He's an all-time great. Look at how he fights. What is that? We don't have actual <laughs> footage. We've still never seen actual footage of Harry Greb in a fight. And so he's always the one that usually gets brought up for the first one, right? But there's countless of other guys, all-time greats, who've had hundreds and hundreds of fights. And you're just kind of wondering, like, wait, what? Really? Even there's even a few modern fighters who I'm going to, you know, bring up. I'm sure you'll bring up as well, who you're going to, you're going to think about and you think you've seen every fight of their career. And then you bring up a fight of theirs and you're like, wait a minute, that wasn't filmed. I never seen that. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's, <clears throat> it's pretty wild. You know, uh, the guy that you brought up, I mean, you might as well just get him out of the way for real, because just to, just to let listeners know, we're not going to be spending an hour, hour and a half, two hours talking about Harry Greb. Um, but he's easily the most famous of, or at least the most, most famous case of fighters where there's little or no footage. Now, it's been going around in the boxing history community for a handful of years now that somebody, some unknown person, uncovered footage or a chunk of footage from some Harry Greb fight. Like, mm -hmm. I, who knows exactly when? Who I knows heard exactly? Years ago, too, when there were writers out there who mentioned it and said that there were that there was footage of the fight. It was like his second to last fight or something. But I think it's been rebuffed since I have no idea. I All really I never been uncovered to the masses. And if it really is, then it's never really been like proven, or you know, it's never really been totally confirmed, or it's never really been released. I've heard that there have been some people who are willing to vouch for it and blah, 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 but it, that pretty much means like almost nothing. You know what I mean? Uh, at this point, a guy who was and is now considered one of the greatest fighters of all time, uh, just based easy. on his ledger alone, that's pretty wild. Like that there's no footage and so you bring up the footage of like him messing around playing handball training hitting the the speed bag just like a lot of footage from that time the frame rate is messed up and so it's like he looks all funny and he's moving all weird and shit like that and even if you fix the frame rate i think he doesn't really look super athletic <laughs> he, i mean it, you see a lot of the kind of almost trick training type of stuff from Amir Khan. You see it from Ryan Garcia. Um, a lot of that kind of super fast, uh, almost as if it's it's not, I don't want to downplay it because I'm slow as shit and I'm not in the gym doing nothing. But at the same time, it doesn't really seem to serve much of a purpose, uh, but it looks very flashy. It makes them look really athletic and like they're acrobatic and type of stuff. And Harry Greb looks pretty much the opposite like that. Another dude we've brought up in this light is Bernard Hopkins, who looked kind of goofy when he's training, looks kind of goofy when he's running, not super athletic guy, but obviously a very good fighter. And then you see that footage of Harry Greb that does exist and he looks goofy. He looks, it, how could this guy possibly? And anyway, we know that there was at some point, uh, there were at some at some points, fights that were taped, Harry Greb fights that were taped because they were in the papers and they were shown in the papers as being re-shown or shown in a theater or something like that. Exactly, the Mickey Walker fights. The one exactly, exactly. And supposedly there were some cameras around. I don't know if they were the fancy motion picture cameras, but there were some cameras around when Jack Dempsey and Harry Greb sparred with their famous or infamous sparring oh. session. But regardless... 
there's really a lack of stuff on him. So that leaves a lot of people to kind of be skeptical as far as how he could possibly be considered among the greatest, you know, not even the greatest, but even among the greatest. So it, it does kind of present a challenge as somebody who's like a history type of person to convince these to convince people who are non-believers. But, um, you know, it, it's, I, I think that's kind of like a no brainer at this point when you, when you're able to see as many newspaper accounts, firsthand accounts, et cetera, it's, it's, it's not really much of an argument, but it does suck that there's no video footage. I mean, to put it in perspective, I believe the footage that we've just been talking about just has been uncovered over the past, like, 30-something past years now. They're always, like, message board rumors, people on forums and stuff like that, like, 20 years ago, because that was the kind of the means of communication as far as, like, social media or whatever, um, you know, when boxing was, as far as boxing is concerned. Um, there were rumors people would make posts. Oh, I've heard about so-and-so uncovering footage of blah, blah, blah fight, but there's never been any confirmation. So I don't know if it's even the same case. Maybe it is the same. I've heard in, I mean, more in recent years, like the, the past few years, uh, slightly more credible people, I would say making the claims, but it's still, it's kind of regardless. It's still just claims. <laughs> I mean, we can only hope, man. There's so many fights of Greb's career that people would be salivating to see. Besides, you know, the Tunney series, obviously. Who wouldn't want to see Tunney's first loss? Who wouldn't want to see the other fights? The other ones are arguably, you know, according to the newspapers, that Greb should have won instead of Tunney. Um, you know, Greb's fights with Tiger Flowers. Greb's fights with, like I mentioned, Mickey Walker. Greb's fights with um, Kid Norfolk. Um Harry Greb's fights with, you know, winning against Johnny Wilson. There's so countless, it goes on and on and on and on. And there's so many of them that Greb was such a popular fighter of that era. If to put it in perspective, he'd be one of the most absolutely popular fighters of today. You know, I don't, extremely, he just, he would be in the same realm as, as probably the heavyweight champions. Everyone you want to put up there, he'd be one of those top guys, you know him walker all those type of people they had that personality they had that type of style everything about them people would love them they'd be huge today and the fact that there's no footage of him and he's considered an all-time great like you mentioned leaves this big like divide between historians who if you it's common sense you look at his resume you look at his record you see who he fought he basically there was nobody that he missed at that basically you know what i mean until his untimely death you look up and down he fought anybody and everybody and he got the better of most of them. Like, you, just on the base of that alone, he's an all-time great. You know, top 10 easily. And on the higher end of that, a lot of people have him at number one. And people can't understand that if you have no footage. I get that thing, too. But you have to just look at it. It's resumes, you know, really trump all at best point. And Grebs really is at the top. And when you read all the accounts, and if you actually do your research on him and how he fought him and everything, he really was a fucking windmill. Like... There was no way about it, man. If there was footage of him, you can see how he did not just this handball footage like you mentioned or palling around with an old Jack O'Brien. You know, you can probably see in perspective how much of a badass he really was, man. There was no fluff with Greb. He was a legit great. I just wish that. I can only hope that one day we'll be able to, we'll be able to uncover something. You know, we can only hope on that. Who knows? Well, you talk about perspective and popularity and stuff like that. And I mean, back in the 1920s, when he was really, really popular, their means of social media or whatever 
would have been parties, going to bars, going to, yes. you know, jazz clubs and stuff like that. Um, so he was one of the dudes who was during a time where, you know, prohibition was kind of cloudy, I would say. And so there, there were people, there were ways to get alcohol and stuff like that. And it wasn't necessarily taboo, but it was a, a big political hot button issue. And he was right in the thick of a lot of that type of partying. He was, he was a celebrity, not quite in the realm of a Jack Dempsey, but Mickey Walker, you know, same level, just, uh, you know, Absolutely. not quite Jack Dempsey, Very but nobody, spot. you know, nobody was Jack Dempsey. There was like Babe Ruth and Jack Dempsey. And that was and pretty much just it. like one slight level above, below them. You know what I mean? Right if that, they exactly. One, Everybody else was below like, them. Or like number two. Yeah. Right there. Right. There's Everybody else was below them. Together. Just not that far below. Exactly. And, and that's exactly where Harry Greb would have been. And to, so today he would have been, I would imagine on social media, messing around, you know, being a, a, a dumbass, being a whatever. So it's, <laughs> he probably would have been pretty popular. And at the very least, see, like from his photos and even from those videos, you can get a sense of his attitude and the way he was just by his body language from his smiles, his smirk and the way he was playing around with people and all that. And, it's still fascinating stuff to see considering if that's all yeah. we have right there it's still extremely fascinating because you still have a look into the man who otherwise all you would have is just photos well and and i think that uh another final point before we move on from mr greb is that <laughs> this is something that i see fairly often too posting on the boxing history accounts and stuff like that seeing reactions to some of the things that i post often in the early 1900s, late 1800s and early 1900s in particular, people make fun of the boxer poses. Um, like I think probably the classical, you know, this shit with the, the hands all messed up or uh, this shit. And then there's dudes who there's fighters who also make like weird uh, poses, almost like the wrestlers or something like that. And then a lot of the reactions to that and the Harry Greb footage are like, oh, wow, they're fighting in that stance. How ineffective that much be. That could, you couldn't possibly. And I think to myself, you don't think they messed around for photos and videos back then too? Clearly, you think they, no. Yeah, like you don't think that they were like exaggerating poses? Like they didn't know what that was 100 years ago? Like, <laughs> I don't know. of the footage that we see of those guys pounding around or what they call sparring back then was them just fooling around. It, yeah, it, it, anyway, we can, we can see a number of examples. Like Cliff Rold is a guy who's brought this up a whole bunch of times on Twitter, for instance, uh, about there are fighters whose styles probably would not translate well in other eras. They would get handled. I think that Jack Johnson is a guy who probably would not do very well in another era against heavyweights who really know how to fight inside and aren't going to like capitulate to being held inside or you know pushed around inside i think he'd be in big big trouble against the riddick bow you know or against the absolutely. Lennox Lewis. oh absolutely yeah yeah and big and guys so, like that but he would you know he he would be hot and cold certain guys he'd have success against others most definitely wouldn't like you just mentioned right. for sure right and and that's not to say he's not great and there's no there's no disrespect in like losing to a Lennox Lewis or Riddick Bowe on the inside i'm not saying that it's just that in terms of style translating to another era you know that's an example of i think a style probably not translating well to some other eras however there were other fighters 
Tony Canzaneri is another is a guy from around that time, a little bit later, who was a fantastic fighter and whose style would have done just fucking fine in just about any era. Mickey Walker, too. Mickey Walker was a very tricky, like pressuring counter puncher at times. He was a guy who was very skilled, uh, you know, had a, a good punch all the way up through light heavyweight and into heavyweight as who started as a welterweight. So, I mean, the, a lot of these I'll, fighters... I'll give you, you know, that's a, I'll add something with Walker. Yeah, when please. I was a kid, When I was a kid and I used to read, when I first got into boxing and I started reading the very, you know, World Boxing, Boxing 95, Ring Magazine, KO, all the motherships. And they, some of them, a couple of them had like Pernell Whitaker against the all-time greats, this guy against the all-time greats, right? And right. every time the current fighter was matched against Mickey Walker, Mickey Walker never lost. And whoever, you know, in that art, in that mythical matchup. And that always caught my eye because Whitaker was always, you know, ahead of everybody else. I think in whatever magazine that was, they always had him. But they said Walker would have dominated him and knocked him out. In another article, I forgot who they matched him up against, but the same thing. Walker would have, like, laughed at him from his punches, broke him down, knocked him out, stopped him and stuff like that. In almost every mythical matchup, Walker came out on top. And for whatever reason, that always caught my eye as a kid. And I was like, you know, who the hell is Mickey Walker? And how is he beating up all these current guys if he's so old? But, like, I just never forgot that. And that just kind of adds to your point how he probably would have, you know, succeeded in any type of era. I think that aggression and punching power are the kinds of things in a fighting style that obviously are going to fit well in any era. Um, I mean, generally speaking. Because if you want to, if you start getting into the crazy and weird tactical breakdowns, then yeah, boxers generally beat punchers and blah, 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 style-wise. But just in, in general, aggression, punching power, those are going to be th things that are going to do fine in any era. I think that a, a lot of the, a lot of the discrepancies are going to be inside fighting. And a lot of the things that fighters were allowed to do inside in different eras and now, when you compare it to now, the fact that fighters just generally don't even fight inside at all. So there, it's kind of depends on where you, where you're placing these fighters and you're doing these mythical matchups and, and blah, blah, blah. I'm going to have a field day with a lot of these people today, man. Yeah, totally. So uh, anyway, Mickey Walker is definitely one of those guys. And Harry Greb, I think he probably could be, especially because he was a volume. He wasn't a big power puncher. He was a volume guy. And he was a guy who was who I think was going to be a pain in the ass for you on any given night, no matter what your style was, because he was just coming to Fritzy Zivic your ass, no matter what. <laughs> just a couple of just a decade, a couple of decades before him. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I guess Fritzy Zivic was actually Harry grabbing well, your ass, is what it was. That's another guy too, you know, to kind of segue into that. I wish there was more footage of. Fritzy Zivic is generally considered if not the most dirtiest fighter in history, one of the top five, at least, you know, at the very <laughs> least top three. And there's footage of him, don't you know, you can even find it on YouTube, but it's really grainy, really bad. I've never seen anything really clear, and I would love to see something if there was anything out there on him, like really up close, you know, they can really see him go to work. By the, by the time that dude, like by the time anybody even like caught wind of his greatness <laughs> he was already like balding and like you know dude was a a hard hard man i want to say he was a he was a not a steel worker but uh yeah no he worked in the he worked in the um 
some sort of mill. Yeah. Was it? St- yeah, was a steel worker? Mm-hmm. It's so- something like that. I think that and, was after his career ended too. That's what he ended up doing. I, oh damn. Anyway, I, he had like a particular. I have photos of it, and he had a particular title. But anyway, point being, we talked about this on a recent show where there's a different kind of strength that comes from when people are working like in construction and shit like that, working in, in a steel mill, working in a, a mine, you know, that kind of stuff. It It's just a, a different ball game. And Fritzy Zivic was one of those fighters. Anybody who's going to be able to, to get one over on Henry Armstrong, who's basically at his peak is a hard, hard, hard fighter. And to have, you know, when people look at his record, oh, my God, he has 65 losses. And I get it. Like, that might be the highest amount of losses. I don't, I'm not sure off the top of my head, but it has to be up there for the highest amount of losses of a world champion ever. But if you look at his record, Fritzy Zivic, top to bottom, has one of the most impressive resumes in boxing history as well. There literally wasn't a dude who's ever ducked. Nobody. He it, fought he, everybody. There was not fought. a person, whether you were white, black, Whatever it was, he would fight you, and he didn't give a damn, and he would go there and do his damnness to take you out and usually would somehow leave you with some kind of effect that you remember that you had to fight him. Whether he won or lost, you remember that you're in the ring with him and you were pissed off about it afterwards. Totally. And he, there was not really a whole lot of regard for whether or not he had a full training camp, what the what weight the fight was at. <laughs> yeah, where it took place, et cetera. But I mean, we've, we've talked about this before, and I think there's kind of like a, a mistaken um, like romanticization of what that was. Like, you know, he did it because that's just how he wanted to do it. And it's like, nah, bro, that's because how he had, that's how he had to do exactly. it. Because fighters were fighting that often, not just because they were hard badasses. They were, not saying they're not, not but that's not the reason why they were fighting 200 times in their career they're fighting 200 times because in in a given fight they were getting paid like four grand they weren't making fifty thousand seventy thousand eighty thousand dollars per fight those were just the really massive ones and so you know you you have to fight 200 times over the span of 25 years if you're going to actually make money and a lot of them as we know still wound up with not much money i'm getting off the point Point is, but no, you're totally right. But a lot of those, a lot of those all-time greats that we read about from the '40s and '30s and '50s, as they get older and they were still alive in the '70s and even the '80s, um, and they were, you know, there's like reports of them going through the papers. And they look and they see how much a fighter's making at that point, and then they go squealing to their wife, "What the hell? You know, imagine me making that then what I could have made back then. This is bullshit." Blah, 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 and, you know, and just going on and on and on. Like, I get it. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 a shitty situation, especially assessing like the the greatness of a lot of these fighters. But regardless, you know, Fritzy Zivic is definitely one of those guys. I wish we we had more footage of one fighter that I I wish we had just anything on really uh, or anything substantial is Joe Walcott, the original Joe Walcott. Potatoes, um, yeah. I, for as many, for as long as he fought, number one, for as much as his weight fluctuated or who, you know, as much as he was willing to fight literally anybody. And I know a lot of it is just timing as far as who was getting recorded and whatnot and videotaped. But I really wish we had more examples of a fighter like him. 
dude, you know, and he's one of those guys. Exactly what you said, man. It's fascinating. He was short, kind of very stout, just built, but he was known as a giant slayer too. You know, he knocked out Joe Kowinski. He uh, knocked out countless guys bigger than him, but he also struggled with guys his own weight, which was kind of interesting. You know, he lost to Kid Levine, lost, struggled with mysterious Billy Smith and others, but like, he's just an absolute animal in the ring. You know what I mean? One of those guys that like, from that time period too, there's footage of Joe Gans. Hell, there's footage of Terry McGovern. There's footage of Adeline Nelson. There's footage of Ad Walgast. Um, no, I don't know of any footage of Kid Levine and, you know, a few others from that era, but as much as you mentioned as well as Wildcat fought and how popular he was, there's absolutely nothing on him. The only footage that I know of, and I've seen it, it's on YouTube and it's pretty fascinating in itself is when, you know, I think in the twilight of his life, when he was working at Madison Square Garden as a janitor and, um, he was interviewed briefly. And he's just given an account of his career and, you know, what he, what he did a little bit and wishes that he was still young enough to get back in there. And it, it's, it's really awesome to watch, man. You know, every time I watch it, I just, I'm, yeah, I'm fascinated by it. Because Walcott, Walcott was a fascinating fighter, a fascinating character. And, yeah, there's really nothing on him. That entire, like, again, I know some of it's timing as far as the technology and the popularity and whatnot, but... Uh, there are a number of lightweights from right around that time because that lightweight arrow was so incredible. You know, you, you mentioned uh, uh, Kid Levine, uh, George Dixon, he was a little bit lower, but regardless, George Dixon's another fighter, but Abatel, Abatel's another one where I'm like, you know, he... I don't see anything about Abatel, and how, and how is that possible? Well, as long as he was basically the ruler at featherweight and went up to lightweight, fought a whole bunch of times at lightweight. Mm -hmm. I mean, right, right around this uh, era at lightweight had some truly incredible all-time fighters. And there's like almost no footage of a whole bunch of them, which is and, just, wow. And Abatel lived a long life. All right, like a very long life. Involved in some he, other he, shit too, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly, with the White Sox and all that. Um, but was the White Sox, Black Sox? I don't, yeah, Black Sox. Well, style, right? it, it, that was yeah. just co colloquially known as the Black yeah. Sox scandal, but yeah, yeah, it was the White Sox. Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, so, but he lived a long life. There, I've never even seen an interview from him like later on because he was in Ring Magazine featured later and other stuff like there's there's nothing on him but you know, you would think that there was some at some point he was on television for something or you know looked upon interviewed for whatever there's absolutely nothing on Abe Patel but again and and I, I kind of find that interesting because again he was extremely popular for the era he fought everybody from that time period and there's only little pockets of there's certain guys that not to say there's tons of footage but there's footage nonetheless of them Joe Gans Badling Nelson, Ad Walgast, um, certain Jim Jeffries, um, excuse me, um, Stanley Ketchell, you know, Billy Packy. A lot of these guys from that era, there's footage on them. You know, even other lightweights that I didn't mention, there, there's little pockets of things. But then you got all-time greats like Joe Walcott and Abe Attell and a few and a couple of others who there's there's absolutely nothing. And... It's kind of like, damn, you know, like you read the accounts and it was such a deep error too for that lightweight welterweight uh, era. 
and how many, you know, the guys that were fighting, how often they were fighting, how often they were fighting each other and everything like that, that I would just, and how brutal from the accounts that you read, how brutal those fights were, that I would die to see it. Even if you, you know, it doesn't really play out as well when you watch it on tele, I guess, when you watch it on screen, how, how brutal those fights actually are. For example, when you watch the Stanley Ketchell, Billy Packy fights, people talk about how vicious they were and how crazy and bloody and yada 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 and then when you actually watch it when you see and you kind of say to yourself well they just look like they're mauling and clinching (laughs) (laughs) still i just need to see it for myself you know what i mean especially now with you know how i've sent you some youtube video um youtube accounts like there's one guy out there smooth legends who um is taking these old videos and enhancing them with these hd ways and slowing them down and doing this and that and making them actually watchable now. And when you can see it, you can see now for the first time, at least in my eyes, what people were actually describing back then and see the viciousness of how hard people, they were, these dudes were getting hit and what was going down. And I'm just like, holy shit, this is awesome. It, it is kind of like a, a double-edged sword or a paradox or whatever, because it's like on one hand, yeah, um, I, like I talked about Jack Johnson earlier, I don't want to portray it like he was unskilled, but it definitely was like when you see footage of some of the, some of his fights, a lot of it is a lot of like mauling inside and stalling and stuff like that. Uh, Similar to Muhammad Ali, frankly, a lot of Muhammad Ali fights are just not good, dude, because there's so much holding and it was like his gravitas or whatever. How shitty his opponent was too. Well, and, and because of his, like, popularity or whatever, it was like he was allowed to get away with different shit. Uh, Jack Johnson, mm-hmm. and it wasn't ju- just Jack Johnson. A lot of that was the era and what referees allowed, period. But he was allowed to, to get away with a lot of stalling and holding and mugging and clinching and stuff like that. But even so, like you said, when you see some of this stuff enhanced, sometimes there are, when you see up close, it's like, oh, there, there was subtle shit they were doing. They did know what they were doing. It wasn't that they didn't know. It was just that it it wasn't that pretty to watch. It wasn't nearly as thrilling as I think that it was kind of made out to be as like a like some sort of Gotti Ward or Corrales Castillo brawl or something like that when it it didn't look like that. And uh, like like a another good example would be like I was thinking about one a minute ago. Um, Dude, I, I almost hate to say it because it's like a sin. I'm, I'm Somebody's going to attack me for saying this, but Dempsey Furpo. That shit is considered like a, an all-time, like, oh, my God, slugfest. It's the greatest something, something, like two-round. And I'm like, I'm, okay, no, it's good. Like Ring Magazine rated that in the, in the 90s when it did its 100 best title fights ever. I think it rated it like number three. Title and I'm just, and I'm, Not even just heavyweight, just title fights in general. And I'm just saying that I almost feel like people like that's people just do it because like they feel like that's they have to like that's just what's on the list. You like almost like for for however many years people are saying, oh well, Jack Dempsey's got to be like top three heavyweight. And it's like no, he doesn't. Kind of didn't really accomplish a whole lot as a heavyweight. I mean, don't like, but that well, he was so vicious, and it's like no, like if we're talking about accomplishments, it was. But similarly, it's almost just kind of like the mythical 
majesty of this shit has been built up for so many decades that it's like people feel they just have to say it. But then in my opinion, if you actually go watch Dempsey Furpo, it's a lot of pushing, a lot of like pulling and clenching and mauling. And there are punches for sure, but the massive, huge knockdown Furpo scored that knocked Dempsey through the ropes and had him killed. It pretty much just push. looks like Furpo runs up and pushes him through the ropes. Like he hits him, but it's like more of a push punch. It's not. Yeah, just I mean, it's punch. not like a. Not Dempsey silly. It's yeah, it's not quite how it's portrayed, especially I think. Even when I was a kid, I noticed that. Like he was just you know he, and like yeah, he just kind of he and he goes it's like with the ropes Dempsey. gave way. He, like, pushes, like, he pushes it with him too, and then. But yeah. I mean, it's still an incredible. Sure, moment. it hurt. Everyone always said so. The first time in what was the word and indignity ever like that ever happened to a heavyweight champion? So they famously said. But then, you know, literally Dempsey comes in seconds later in the second round, just knocks him into another planet. Yeah, like just knocked him down over and over, like in a bad over way. Yeah, yeah, it, to the point where it's like it's difficult to count the knockdowns. So I mean, you know, it's I don't know, it's. I don't I don't want to shit on it because it's not a bad fight whatsoever. I'm just not entirely sure it deserves the acclaim that it often gets, like the automatic acclaim that it often gets. So to relate that to what we're talking about, sometimes it just doesn't translate that well on video. And sometimes you do see subtle things, but sometimes you see stuff and you're like, oh, it wasn't as good as they say. Um, but even like so, I would imagine having a really enhanced version of Badlin Nelson at Wallagast. Like, you know, even in the version that we have now, you can hear the thuds on the punches and the way them dudes just beat the hell out of each other, how vicious it is. Just imagine if it was, like, up close and you had HD and actually witnessed that. Because that's a fight that you can tell those two are whooping each other's ass. You know, oh, yeah. Was, you know, well, there, I was, mean, there was no holding back on that one. There was no, like, I mean, there was a lot of mauling, but there was just a yeah. lot of vicious, straight up. One way or another, fighters aren't ending up with their faces and bodies looking like that from nothing. I mean, exactly. granted. Both of them the, look like the straight-up slab of beef that Rocky was beating up in the movies, all right? I mean, granted, gloves back then was something else. And I mean, you know, like, so taking some punches is almost like watching some bare-knuckle shit today where it's like three punches and homeboy's face is destroyed. But still, like you see, and that's like 45 rounds. So it's like, holy shit, bro. So, yeah. Yeah. So to be able to see that and to be able to see like that era of uh, early 1900s and late 1800s lightweights that was just incredible and possibly could never be matched in terms of depth would be really cool. For sure, man. But to bring it a little bit more modern, I guess, and like I mentioned before, <clears throat> reason why I was wearing this shirt, the one fight that um, Marvin Hagler readily admits that he lost has never been filmed. And that was his loss to William Monroe. And historians still today are still talking about it because not the fact that anyone's out there claiming that they have footage of it. It was never filmed unless someone snuck in something at the, at the spectrum that night that no one knows about it, got like a reel of it, but it's never been filmed. There's reasons for it too. But that's the one fight of Marvin Hagler's career. And I find I kind of find that interesting. The one fight that he readily admits is lost is no footage of. What were the reasons it was never filmed? I think um 
off the top of my head, there was a big snowstorm. I think it was. There was a there was a big storm, and it kind of like fucked everything up in terms of the the crews and you know film crews and everything else trying to get there. But the show still went on, and people that made it there still were able to watch it. But yeah, the storm is what really messed it up. And um, oh. from there, there was you know the fight wasn't able to go on. I mean, not that not, not the fight. Excuse me. That the uh, there was no film of that from that, but the fight obviously still went on and. Monroe, by all accounts, put on the performance of his career. Like, that was one of those that it didn't matter if he was going to be in a title fight or whatever it was going to be, anyone would have had trouble with him that night. And Hagler was just a step ahead of him and took a took a beating. Well, Willie the Worm paid the price for daring to, to try to beat Marvin Hagler after that when they met again. <laughs> so, poor guy. Actually, you know, there's actually a number of like uh, Philadelphia and Philadelphia area middleweights, probably a few light heavyweights too, from right around that area in the era of the 70s and early 80s that I wish there were more, there was more footage of her. I mean, maybe there is footage, at least it's just not out there on YouTube and shit. You know, Cyclone Heart, uh, you know, a lot of those like kind of guys who are, from the Philly area who made up made for a really cool pack of fighters. Which there's a little well, bit. Oh yeah, man. I mean, that was that was a deep, deep, deep era of middle East back then, especially in the 70s. And Hagler went straight up into them. Like his first fight was um was against Bugaloo Watts, which he lost. But a lot of people said that it would he put a little bit it would put Hagler's reign into perspective a little bit too. Cause I mean, people already love him and already believe he's an all-time mm -hmm. great middle middleweight. So it it would just put a little bit more perspective into that, like seeing what he'd had to go through to get to the middleweight shot, you know? Absolutely. And yeah, because Hackler was one of those guys, he wasn't going to conform to anything. He was with Goody and Pat Petronelli, who, although they were good managers, trainers, you know, and handlers for Hagler and were loyal to him, they didn't have a lot of power politically out there to really get him the opportunities that other fighters were afforded at that period. So they had to scrabble and struggle and get what they worth because, one, he was really talented, he was tough, and no one was going to take a risk on a commodity that had no money like Hagler did at that point, you know? So they had to make their they had to make their bones. Like we mentioned before, when Don King had that sham of a tournament, the, uh, the U.S. Championship tournament, um, the only way Hagler was going to be invited into it was this, as if um, he got rid of Goody and Pat and joined with Don King, and Hagler wouldn't have done that. And once he refused to do that, he was banned from that. So he, he you know, he has he's trying to find an avenue around here. He's trying to do something. He ends up in Philadelphia, and he's struggling out there. His first fight, he goes against Bug, you know, Bobby Watts, and Bugaloo Watts was a really, really good fighter. One of those tough guys that wasn't, you know, championship material. But that's not to say that he wouldn't have been in another era. You know, he was right on the cusp of that time. Being a top contender meant you probably would have been a champ in another era. And, you know, he even, even though he got the decision against Hagler, Hagler showed his potential. It was a close fight. But Willie the Worm Monroe was the one who legitimately whooped on Hagler in that fight. You know, everything Hagler had, Monroe had an answer for that night. Hagler really had no answer for everything Monroe tried. Monroe had an answer for that night. And Monroe was just on the top of his game. It's just unfortunate that because of a giant storm and other stuff, you know, circumstances that went on it, it was never filmed. They never had any crew, any television crews that were able to cover it or anything. And 
you know, the few people that were there to witness it that night, witnessed the master class from Monroe. But like you mentioned, Hagler learned from his mistakes. And um, I believe Jay Russell Pelton mentioned that he had a chance to buy in with Hagler afterwards. I think the Petronellis asked him, you know, if you'd be interested. And Pelts kind of said something to the effect of he can't even be my middleweight from Philly. What can he do against the world? What would I have any interest in him for? So, um, you know, he obviously learned to like regret that immensely in the years, in the years later. But um, at that point, you know, once Hagler lost um, to Monroe, I think he was matched, matched up, like you mentioned, against Cyclone Hart soon after. And once Hagler was able to beat Cyclone Hart, that's when he started getting on a roll again. Um, he fought Monroe in a rematch, ended up knocking him out, fought him again soon afterwards, blasted him in two rounds. He uh, fought Bugaloo Watts right before he ended up winning the title and absolutely annihilated him. So, you know, Hagler ended up okay, obviously, as we all know. But it's crazy to think that a fight like that, just because of circumstances, was, uh, was never filmed. Which segues that into another one. And... Um, that's a uh, Mike Tyson fight that was uh, that was never filmed. If you uh, if you're familiar with that or not, wasn't there only I want to say there was one or two. Might have uh, only been this one, but I, I I I don't even know what it is off the top of my head. But I do remember when I was going back not too too long ago, and I was basically just trying to find everything like Mike Tyson, because I, I created a video that was every Mike Tyson knockout that was filmed in order. And I put that together. So I found everything I could. And I remember like looking around and when I had done a search for it, they were like, oh yeah, it doesn't exist. There were other posts that it was one fight against a guy named by the name of Larry Sims early in his career. Then I'm sure that was the one that was it then. And there's various reasons for that too. They were saying that the film crew showed up late one, one, one theory is that the film crew showed up late and Ty the Tyson fight was already over by the time they showed up. And the other one was that Tyson didn't look good because he was extended a little bit. And Sims was playing survival tactics, so Tyson didn't look as devastating as normal, so it was destroyed. Who hmm. knows? But interestingly enough, you know, people don't mention it. I mean, not really because you go through Tyson's career and everyone says, oh, the full Mike Tyson career, X, Y, and Z. But I did remember as a kid, reading that and then i had to look it up today to remember which opponent that actually was but i did remember reading in an old ring magazine article that there was a tyson fight that never that was never filmed huh. and that was i wouldn't even have thought of that so that's a yeah. that's a good call yeah but it's it's interesting to think that like you know you think you've seen every mike tyson fight because they've all been filmed you know hector mercedes fight the um john anderson fight john michael johnson like Lipsko, all those you know early guys they knocked the hell out of that are just, you know, footnotes in history. You've seen clips of them, whether they're grainy or whether they appeared on ESPN or whether whatever, but there's that yeah. one fight that you kind of forget about. Well, and even, I think that it's like, uh, you could see that way back when Customato and the people around him, the people who were helping finance Mike, Mike Tyson's career, Jim Jacobs and all these foos, they understood what they had on their hands, you know, and so they were even filming sparring sessions. They were filming a lot of his amateur fights. I'm sure, you know, maybe some of them, they weren't allowed or something like that, but just about anything they could, it seemed like, and there was that yeah, early. Yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of early Tyson footage out there. Like you mentioned, a lot of his amateur fights, 
there's a cool clip of him sparring at like 16 years old against a seasoned heavyweight, um, who was a seasoned heavyweight, who was a who was an undefeated pro at the time, and Tyson was giving him the business. You know what I mean? So like, it's out there. <laughs> Put the beats on his ass. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Like, life was straight up. Well, he did. Jimmy Clark was his name. Excuse me, yeah, Jimmy Clark. What I believe it was nineteen. It was either eighty four or eighty six. I'd have to look it up, but either eighty four or eighty six, they made that amateur documentary about him called just Tyson. And like, if you, it's on YouTube. It might not even be under that name. It's probably. I want to say it's on that uh, International Boxing Hall of Fame two account. I think, you know yeah. the that has a whole bunch of documentaries and shit. And, uh, but, but even back in the day when you got, uh, a videotape, like a VHS of this documentary, same thing. It was just that like early to mid eighties, like super basic video editing, like almost like pinkish weird stripe across the bottom of the screen that just says Tyson. Cause that's like the only thing that they could do as far as video editing for a title. And, uh, and it's like, I mean, it's not that long. It's probably like an hour. A lot of it is like behind the scenes shit with Mike. Uh, and I think that that's actually where they pulled a lot of when they've done documentaries about Tyson or they've done like movies about him and shit, like the HBO movie that they did about him. And a lot of those scenes with him up movie. in upstate New York, where they, they pulled that from this documentary because it shows him at dinner with Cuss and uh, Cuss's partner and all sorts of shit. So anyway, uh, yeah, dude, there was even a documentary about the dude before he even really got big. So there's no question. There's all sorts of footage. And it's crazy that despite all that footage, there's just this one fight that doesn't exist. And it's not even like a big major fight. It's just the fact that it does that it doesn't exist is what kind of gets <laughs> right. you, you know? Exactly. It wasn't like anything substantial really happened. Tyson just knocked out a guy that was never heard from again. <laughs> That's like the most notable thing about the fight is that it wasn't. Exactly. Yeah. That's it's just like the fact the that this footage thing. doesn't exist. You know what I mean, imagine if footage turned up and someone was like, you know, put a wild price tag on it. Someone would definitely buy it. <laughs> and it would be like when the premise saying that you can't show it to the public or whatever, someone would do that because that's what people do. Well, and I mean, I guess that kind of gives me an opportunity to, I will nicely rant. I won't be mean about it, but I am going to state my annoyance at the fight collecting community because look, dude, I've been ever since I learned in the early 2000s how to trade fights through MIRC, the old chat program. It was like a new world opened up and I was like, holy shit, I don't have to like buy videotapes through Ring Magazine or anything. Like I can watch fights here on my computer like right here or put them on some device or some shit you know and so when as soon as i like you know understood that these kinds of things could be collected and blah 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 and then very soon after that torrents were invented or at least spread to the public and it was like you can download fights through torrents and blah 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 and so i kind of got to know some of the fight collecting community a little bit but there's still a lot of really old school fight collectors who collect video who collect films who collect eight millimeter well all sorts of millimeter all sorts of uh kinds of film and it's just annoying to me 
that I know for a fact, some of them have things in fights and training footage. Some of them even have family footage, like personal home video footage that nobody else has. Like literally nobody else has and possibly has not seen for decades, if at all, really. And just like, keep it. And if I'm not, I'm not trying to tell somebody what to do with their own property. I'm just saying that if that were me, I just feel as though it would be more enjoyable to like share it. So I don't know. I, I don't know precisely what fights I'm talking about or anything like that. I just know for a fact that there are collectors who kind of withhold stuff. And I'm just like, that sucks. Cause I, there are a lot of fights I wish I could enjoy. And I had a lot of fights that I wish other people could enjoy too. So it's just to piggyback off what you're saying, my mild annoyance. That's all. Absolutely, man. <laughs> <laughs> preaching to the choir over here bro <laughs> no nah, it's you know um it's just i guess to me it's like dude they're they're made to be enjoyed or like whatever if it's on video that's the whole point of it is at least i feel that way so well, another guy though to, to mention that to stay in the whole philly thing if we'll they go back to the philly thing actually um would be gypsy joe harris you know one of those fascinating fighters that legendary in philly circles you know and especially for people that era who had a chance to witness him if you had a chance to see him fight you know he still talked about in hushed tones almost and you know um the only footage that's known of him is his uh, last fight against emil griffith just like a small clip of it i think you know nothing else is really uncovered about him but from all accounts man because of you know the way he was only he was blind in one eye and so to to um to compensate that his style was like Emmanuel Augustus, I guess, but like add some more layers to it and even more, but not saying craziness, but just like if you read his style, like he was just on another level than anyone had ever seen before. And he was doing stuff that no one had ever seen and would leave guys flabbergasted and flustered and was really successful at it and was poetry and motion and gym. Like Best way to describe it, if you watch someone like, um, if you listen to free jazz like Ornette Coleman, for for example, or something similar to that, Coltrane getting a little bit wild, and you put, but there was still like some kind of structure to their music. It wasn't just completely off the off the walls out there. Then you get a sense of how Gypsy Joe Harris would fight, at least what I've read. That's how I try to interpret it. You know, I think you. Does that makes sense much, to you. It it does you have a much better grasp of jazz and like the theory behind it than I do because you play drums and have, you know, actually done it. Uh, I mean, I played guitar for a long, long time, so I probably understand it a little bit better than the average person, but it's like, I have, I do have a difficult time when I'm listening to that kind of like free range jazz where it's improvisational and it sounds a lot of times so dissonant it just doesn't sound like it goes it just sounds like people playing some random shit yeah but then it's, man there's, it's, there's different there's different there's way but, different levels of it but there are sometimes songs or movements jazz movements where it sounds that way but it's almost like they're like cogs that are moving at a different speed and then every so often they meet up 
And it's like, oh shit, that's what they're doing. It's almost like a look, here's a really dumb example, right? Like somebody's probably gonna hear this and go, what the fuck are you talking about? Have you ever sat at like a stoplight and you have your turn signal on? And so you can hear the click, 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 click. And it's like, you're looking at the car in front of you and they also have their turn signal on and they're moving at different speeds. But then every so often they, they meet up and go blink together. And you're like, wow, that's kind of like how that jazz shit is, dude. Every so often it's like they meet up and you're like, oh, that's nice. But sometimes getting to that point and with fighters, there are some fighters. I mean, Augustus is maybe a pretty decent example, but a lot of fighters who, I don't know, maybe even Purnell, where you're watching them and it doesn't seem like it makes sense. It doesn't seem like what they're doing would work. Like, how, why does that work? How are you making that work? But it does. And not only are they making it work, they're fucking good at it. You know? Guys that can just make you miss by microseconds and then, you know, make you pay for it. But Harris was different. Like, when you watch Emmanuel Augustus and everybody, you know, have seen him, all of his antics on ESPN and all that, the drunken master, and you see the way he would start going, the, the bopping, the things like that, kind of going to the whole style that he said he got from playing Tekken, which is pretty cool in itself. But, <laughs> um, I mean, it is. Tekken's a badass game. But, um, you know, with Gypsy Joe Harris, not only was he, he ended up, he did that, but he, like, Again, I've never. There's only small footage of him. There's not a lot on that. The fact that he lost, he you know, he lost his eye early on in a fight, in a in a street fight as a kid. Like I think some kid took a brick to his eye and smashed it. Whatever the curse may be, he lost his eye when he was young. He ends up getting into boxing, and to compensate, you know, having only vision in one eye and no one knowing about it, he does his style in a way that you, you know, to make sure that he can still see out that one way. But like. He does it in a way that it's like, you know, something unlike anyone's ever seen. You know, he's tipping, diving. Oh, well, you know, he takes elements of all this slickness and all these other styles that, and just kind of makes it into his own. Like, he'll take a little bit of Jersey Joe Walcott. He took a little bit of this one, a little bit of that, all these different things. And at that point in time, when you were talking about the 60s, when he was, you know, active as one of the top welterweight contenders in the world and uh, junior middleweight around that era, you know, a lot of these dudes have still never seen anything like that. You know, a lot of them still, uh, aside from Sugar Robinson, a few others, everyone else is still kind of straightforward, you know, having a normal style, kind of move forward, nothing really too fancy, right, Pat? So to see a guy like Harris come on the scene, everyone's flabbergasted. What the hell are you seeing here? And then no one ever seen anything like that. No one knew that it was because of his eye that he had to fight like that, you know? This is what he had to compensate to do something for. The fact that he had to change his style up and make it different actually worked to his advantage because he fucked everybody up. And that way they go into him, you're watching him and you're like, how do I even fight right. someone like this? They, they yeah. had no idea how to handle him, And he became it's a, a phenomenon because of it. Yeah. It, it's, it's wild. If you watch this, if you watch this footage with Griffith, you can see exactly how it ends very brief and the footage isn't that great, but you can see what, you know, what people I talked about is definitely out there. Um, Tevin Farmer actually, I guess I can use him as an example, fights kind of similar in his style in terms of like the dips and the movements that he would use and trying to stuff like that. But it's still Gypsy Joe had something on a, on another level and completely unlike himself. But like people who are from Philly, who are in the scene, who are fans, writers, whatever it may be, in the boxing circles, still talk about him like that today, how much of a phenomenon he was. And it's unfortunate that his career was cut so short. 
um, because of, you know, him only having one eye that they found out about it and the circumstances of what happened to him afterwards because his career, you know, his life completely fell apart after that. Like, he begged them, you know, saying, yo, if you do not let me fight, like, I'm going to fall into the streets. I have nothing else to fall back on. I can fight. Please, please just let me do this. And they refused. And after they refused to let him, you know, he did fall back into the streets, unfortunately. But what's even crazier is that during an era in the 60s when a lot of these fights were filmed, boxing was very popular in Philly. All of his contemporaries have plenty of footage on him. Kitten Hayward, Curtis Cox, you know, Emil Griffith that we mentioned, a lot of other Philly fighters. There's nothing on him. Nothing except for that last clip. But I've talked to people and they say there's footage of him out there. I've talked to Pelts actually. He says he has footage of him. It's never been seen. Well, I will kindly <laughs> guide everybody back to my comments about that one that I made a couple minutes ago. But ultimately, like I said, it doesn't belong to me and I can't demand anybody anything from anybody. And I will say, uh, I'll, I will force this segue, damn it. One thing that I'm happy we don't have footage for relates to our sponsor. Because support, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> because support for Knuckles and Gloves is brought to you by Manscaped, the men's below-the-waist grooming champions, lineal champions, too. Ring champ. Oh, no, I can't say ring champion, but lineal champions. Lineal champions of the world. Manscaping offers, or, uh, Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your most sensitive parts. And speaking of which, Manscaped just launched a fourth generation trimmer called the Lawnmower 4.0. So you should join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer of 20% off plus free worldwide shipping with our exclusive code GLOVE, G-L-O-V-E, and go to manscaped.com to use that code. So get 20 percent off free shipping using our code gloved at manscaped.com unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with manscaped certainly that's, do. <laughs> that's what i got so there's actually you brought up with the funny styles and stuff like that one thing it's like we do have some footage of this fellow there's not a whole lot though but one thing i i did that kind of reminded me with the funny styles I actually made a couple, uh, like a Twitter thread, I don't know, it might have been about a year ago, about an abor aboriginal, an indigenous Australian fighter named Jerry Jerome, uh, who fought only for about, from about, uh, I think it was like 1908 to, had it pulled up here in a sec, I'll just look instead of estimating, from 1908 to 1915. So he didn't fight all that long. And I think he was like 38 or some shit like that when he made his professional debut. But he was an indigenous Australian who grew up uh, in an area that was known for basically its squalor, for its really poor conditions. And long story short, uh, he became somewhat famous in Australia as a fighter um, because he was a really defiant, uh, a really defiant dude. They had, I, I, I don't want to go too far into it because you'll get me talking for fucking ever about this shit because it's really interesting to me. But long story short is that when um, basically a bunch of fucking white people were trying to control indigenous people in Australia 
as they were wont to do and had made a bunch of laws and shit like that. Like uh, indigenous people couldn't drive or they had to ask permission to marry so-and-so or to marry outside of their tribe and things like that. All sorts of fucked up shit as we know things happened in that way. But Jerry Jerome was extremely defiant and considered a troublemaker. But bringing it back to why I bring him up, there is footage of him on YouTube. You kind of have to sift through some of the videos to actually find the footage. But man, he has a really funky style. Like he's twisting and twirling all over the place, turning his back, you know, like dipping, diving. It's it's pretty hilarious to watch, but you could also see how that could be incredibly effective to like, I, I just, it would be such a pain in the ass to fight somebody doing that shit. So I mean, yeah. like, I, I can totally see that people being I'll baffled. Bring up another, I'll bring up another guy that I, I brought that I read about as a kid, and it makes me think of that now. Uh, not on, you know, again, that's just his antics would make everybody just be like, "What the fuck?" If he was around today, you ever hear a guy uh, raid the windmill uh, wipe? He was a light heavyweight that was active from the late '50s up until the mid '70s. Not never became a champion, but he was like a fringe contender and stuff like that. The reason why he was called the windmill is because he was not of his, like, referees, everybody hated him, all right? Like, they couldn't stand him when he used to fight because he would pull the most ridiculous antics because he had fun with doing it, but it was, like, effective for him. Like, he would, you know, it was after a fight that he had where he got beat up by, um, um, who was the, who was the, the, the heavyweight, the, the heavyweight, um, that, that went the distance with um with Frazier back in the day. Um, actually, I gotta look it up now because that, that was bothering me. I'm not sure. Oh yeah, jo um, um, Scrap Iron, Scrap Iron Johnson. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he lost the Scrap Iron Johnson. George After Johnson, that, he yeah. came, like, at, when he was doing that, he was still Ray White was still a normal boxer. You can find some. I think there's a couple of his fights on YouTube, and I think Ellie Sackpack or someone found him too to uh, interview him recently. But um, his fights. I first read about him in Ring Magazine. The same thing. He was just like he would do these double, like double dip punch where he would do like a double fist and jump ahead of you, punch from the back, slimy shy, do all these other things, do around, just made everything a big joke, and. <laughs> He was annoying for opponents, annoying for referees. Everybody couldn't stand him because of all the stupid shit he would pull, but it was effective for him. And he would, you know, he did enough boxing that he brought himself to win, like, the NABF light heavyweight title and I think was considered for a title fight at one point. He was popular. He was popular in the California area. But mentioning those crazy guys and their funny antics and stuff like that, you know, I just felt like bringing them up. Yeah, there was uh, another dude who was, um, oh man, An another guy who used to fight a shitload of exhibitions in San Francisco back in the day too, had a really funky style that Jack Dempsey said was like, he, he fought uh, exhibitions with him a couple times and he was like, fuck this. And it helped convince him that he shouldn't like ever be in the ring ever again. I can't remember who it is. I want to say it was like Porky Dan Flynn or some shit like that, but it, that wasn't him. It was. Here's a question. There's never been footage uncovered of Jim Jeffries against either Bob Fitzsimmons or uh, Jim Corbett, right? As far as I know. 
And this is Jim Jeffries footage. I know there's not a lot out there from his title fight. I know Gus Poulin um, and some of Tom Sharkey is out there. But as far as I know, the two fights where he really took an ass whooping before he came back to win. Um, yeah, not to my fight, knowledge. Unless it was just like reenactments. Interesting. Yeah, not to my knowledge. And I'm not going to lie, dude. I'd kind of like to see like several rounds of Bob Fitzsimmons taxing that ass. And then all of a sudden, that's what I was saying. I was always, I've read so much (laughs) about it. Like, because if you read the accounts, you read that like Jeffries took an unholy beating in those fights. Like to the point where like like, it should have been stopped several rounds. Anyone would have stopped those fights. There's no way in hell those fights would have continued today. If you read how he looked, you know, he was cut above both, uh, cut above and below almost to the bone of his eyes. His nose was smashed. His face was just beaten to a pulp. His body was beat up. Fitzsimmons was just beating him like a like a fucking water bag. And it was almost like a point of exhaustion. And, you know, um, Jeffries hitting himself that just, like, wore Fitzsimmons out and knocked him, you know, before um, Jeffries put the coup de grace on him. Coup de gras, whatever you want to call it. Coup de gras. <laughs> on him. Excuse <laughs> <you>. <laughs> Sound like Leon. Is, I, got, I got a Merlot Broham. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, Brom? Brom. But, like, um, you know what I'm saying? Like, think about that shit. Like, I would love to see that. Not to say even if it was, like, grainy footage, but, like, enough to... Because to, the only fits, the only footage I've really seen of Fitzsimmons is him um, knocking out Corbett. But you read about that. And then the Corbett thing, too. Corbett didn't beat up um, Jeffries, I don't think, to the extent that Fitzsimmons did. But by all accounts, still, he was whooping him and slapping him around like it was nobody's business for a number of rounds before Jeffries caught up to him. Same thing. There's nothing out there. Yeah, dude. Well, in, for that matter, the, uh, the fight that went the distance between he and Sharky in like 1898 yeah. or 1899, uh, you know, by, all, by pretty much all accounts was like bloody as shit, you know, brutal as hell. That was the one that uh, made Sharky's Didn't infamous. Didn't they say too, like the lights fell from the ceiling, like from the from the ceiling, and was burning them too, or something from that matter? Uh, I um, I'm not sure if that was one the one where that happened. I almost think it was Jeffries that said that. I'm not sure if that was the fight where that happened, but one right around that time was when they were trying to, they were like experimenting with lighting because of the moving picture boxes. Yeah, and they needed yeah, yeah. better lighting for that shit, like way better lighting because it needed to be like white hot lighting. And supposedly they had lowered the lights to the point where it was like burning the fighters and it, like, you know, they could see like smoke coming up from them and like singeing their hair. I don't know if that's true. It might've just been the steam too, because you know, all the sweat needs to evaporate. But, um, but yeah, uh, sailor Tom Sharkey infamously, like you could see in photos too, had an awful cauliflower ear that looked like it needed to be drained like every other day. And uh, supposedly that was one of the, that was the fight that made it like exponentially worse. And by the end of the fight, his ears like flopping all over the fucking place, like awful people are like, you know, taking the kids away, you know, leading them away. Women puking ringside. No, not really. There's (laughs) grainy photos of them clinching and you can see Sharky's face just like, you can see the marks on it. You know what I mean? Imagine yeah, if the machines were clear and in color and you really get an up-close view of it. Like, you can even see from that the damage done to both guys, for that matter. Because Jeffries took his share of licks in that fight, too. But, uh, again, there's there's nothing out there, you know. 
Well, I mean, I don't know. There's there's footage of him and of Sharky. I don't know which fight it is, but I've seen footage on YouTube at least. And like I mentioned, um, the guy I mentioned earlier, um, Smooth Legends, posted up Jeffrey clips of Jeffries against uh, Gus Rulin recently. But the fight, you know, that I've always been fascinated by, uh, him against Bob Fitzsimmons, there's nothing out there. You know, there's and I just want to see Fitzsimmons, Fitzsimmons footage in general. Like, I don't care if he's fighting or anything. I'd love to see him just yeah, wandering around with his pet lion or being interviewed <laughs> or doing something. Like, I don't see anything. So... You see footage of Sullivan as an old man. Character. You see footage of Corbett. You see footage of all these other of all of his contemporaries. You don't really see anything of Fitzsimmons. Such like a funky character, lanky, weird looking. You know, like just like. He's got the haircut like a San Diego Padre friar, you yeah. know, because he's like just bald on top and it's like going nowhere. And he's looking like somebody's grandpa, but he's a blacksmith. So I was talking about this earlier, that kind of strength that comes from doing like manual labor. And he could punch like a motherfucker, apparently. So he was really yeah. smart. Like he knew how to hurt you. He just knew it, like the whole body placement, where to actually, you know, land punches, the maximum and all that shit for sure that would be pretty cool to have some some fitzy some ruby rob footage dude there's a there's another fight too and i wrote about this like a, a couple of years ago didn't write it wasn't like a lot but i wrote like a blurb about it a couple of years ago um another fight that i wish we had footage of and i mean this kind of opens up a whole new conversation in the why the fuck don't we have footage of this fighter uh you know question but in 1909 in Paris, Joe Jeanette wound up defeating Sam McVeigh. And for that matter, why the fuck don't we have footage of, you know, like being fighters of that caliber? Do we have more Harry Wills footage? We don't have like shit on Jeanette or Sam McVeigh that's really usable. And in 1909, they fought like they were among this group of heavyweights that fought each other like umpteen times. And uh, in this particular fight in 1909 in Paris, uh, supposedly, and obviously there's absolutely no way to verify this whatsoever, but supposedly there were upwards of 40 knockdowns between them in this fight. 4-0, not 14. Even, even 14 would be nuts, but 4-0. And uh, after, you know, getting the absolute shit kicked out of him for several rounds in a row. Sam McVeigh wound up retiring in his corner after 49 rounds, four, nine rounds. And there are photos of this fight and they're actually pretty good. All things considered, you know, considering they're from uh, 1909 and from uh, basically like a Paris circus venue. And even so you can see in the corners in each fighter's corner, shit is like so bloody, it's absolutely terrible. Like it's like horrifying. It's good that we're only a few days away from Halloween and talking about it because it's fucking gruesome as shit almost, like especially for 1909. But you can see that it's it's a rough fight. And it, any fight going 40 plus rounds, dude, is going to be rough. And I think that that's, you know, to not get away from it too, too far here we've talked about fights uh, in these earlier eras a number of different times. 
and we've talked about like the watchability and the entertainment value or the possible entertainment value of some of these fights. Dude, I think that with some of these fights too, you'd be getting into like the 30 and 40 round range and shit where like they'd just be unwatchable. They could not, they, there's no possible way that a human being could still be fighting yeah, after that man, many I, rounds. You're not gonna, even Salvador Sanchez, man, who might have had the best gas tank of anyone in history is going to be gassing out by round 20, something like those are those fight to the finishes and at like, that understandably. point. Understandably. Absolutely. But again, I know exactly what you're talking about. They have some great photos of it. I first learned about that fight in uh, the book that we brought up countless times on the show, the, um, the history of boxing, the historical, yep. you know, when that, like the um, illustrated history of boxing yeah, or whatever. History yeah. of boxing when that, um, when that Fleischer and yeah. So that was the first time I ever read about it. You know, I think the photo had Jeanette standing over um, Sam McVeigh. But it's, again, that's one of those fights that, like, there's footage of them, of each fighter out there. But there's not tons of it out there. You know, compared to Jack Johnson, like you mentioned, Harry Wills, even Sam Langford for that matter. There's, you know, a few things of Langford out there. Compared to, you know, two of the guys who are respected and mentioned amongst them, as two of the greats who never won a title and you know part of that whole era and everything like that there's little to nothing and that's really unfortunate um to the point yeah. where mcveigh a lot of you know back in the early 90s you know back in the day was actually compared and saying that he was like a, he was the mike tyson of his era and a lot of people would mention that because there was no footage of him and that's how a lot of people based him and how they read about him how they kind of came up with a style they're like oh yeah he was mike tyson he was this and that that's how they thought of him and then when his footage actually came up and when you saw it and you realized and you're like wait a minute he fought nothing like mike tyson like that was you know completely off off the way we were describing that so you know it's interesting how perspectives change when you finally get footage of these guys for the first time but there's still not enough of it you get glimpses of it and even then the glimpses that we have the footage sometimes isn't so great that like you still can't make like a great comparison you still really can't make a great judgment on it because it's like fuck man we have something but i can barely see anything out of this yeah, what's even I'm, more I'm... wild though at least we have footage of mcveigh and Jeanette. you know what's even more mind-blowing to me is that a guy like jack Britton, for instance who is recognized as one of the all-time greats. A lot of people, you know, modern people today don't remember him because he fought almost 100 years ago and well, did fight over 100 years ago. And how, do, how do Ted Kid Lewis and Jack Britton fight like 19 times and not one of and them? And there's right? nothing on them. Literally what? nothing. Or there's no, there's no footage of Benny Leonard fighting Jack Britton, which obviously was a huge fight back then. That would have been a super fight today. Benny Leonard, the lightweight champion, moving up to fight Jack Britton, the welterweight champion. I, you know, like, if that was happening in today, everyone on Twitter would be talking all kinds of shit about that, how big of an event it would be on, be probably be on pay-per-view, you know? And there's nothing on that. And Britain is one of the all-time greats. The guy had, in, you know, not even counting, like, over 100 fights, way over 100 fights. And that's not even counting all over, all the newspaper decisions and all the other shits that he went through, too, that he fought, Right. Like, that's coming close to over, that's over 300 fights he had altogether. And there's no footage of him, as far as anyone's ever seen. Like, I've looked it up. I've searched for him before. I've gone to message boards, you know, for the historical people who would, who would know this shit. 
everyone has the same thing. They think they've seen something they haven't. There's nothing out there on it. And that's mind blowing. Yeah, dude, that's pretty nutty, man. And it, just uh, the caliber of these fighters, too. And I mean, I guess it's useful to talk about some of the technology. And this is the kind of shit that somebody might have learned from like watching Inglorious Bastards, where there's that little clip where they talk about the, uh, the combustibility of film and stuff and film that was used. Um, I mean, we're talking about several different eras here. So there were different kinds of films used. And I'm not trying to propose that I'm a fucking film buff here, that I'm an expert. But I do know that back in the day when uh, uh, a kinetoscope or an early video camera would have been used to tape something, the film that was used was either flammable uh, highly degradable in terms of like, you know, if you didn't transfer it to something else. And, and then in, in, in certain eras, there would have been no option to transfer that film to anything. It's just film, you know, so that's the only thing you got. So there is a, a pretty distinct possibility with a lot of these fighters that some of the shit was filmed and we've just lost it over the years because it could not be preserved. It, it got lost. Those were the only copies we had and they're gone or they were in a house fire or such and such archived burned down or got fucked up or bombed by a war or some shit. You know, it, it's not outside the realm of possibility, but it's just a staggering amount of fighters and a staggering amount of great fighters for that, for that matter. You know, if you were for just, for instance, to go through, I don't know, just pick Nat Fleischer because it's easy. And a lot of people are going to be familiar with who he is and it, you respect his, uh, his opinion and stuff like that. But you go through and you look, look through like who he rated as the best fighters he'd ever seen or his top fighters and almost all of the top fighters are like, there's like almost no film of them or very, very little film of them. Benny Leonard, you know, he's always spoke super highly of Benny Leonard, always spoke super highly of Stanley Ketchell. Like there's some footage of Stanley Ketchell, but you know, you'd almost think there'd be a little bit more of him too. Though the Johnson fight's pretty good, not gonna lie. <laughs> but still, uh, you know, a lot of these fighters that are considered like some of the greatest of all time, especially back then, it's just staggeringly little footage of. So you would have had to have seen them for your for you know, with your own eyes. I wish there was footage of Benny Leonard against Jack Britton because that's always been gone down as one of the more controversial fights, you know, in title fights in history. Um, and it's almost been a hundred years ago. It's going to be a hundred years next year when it, you know, actually. Or for when it took place, and it's uh, it's crazy to think, you know, by all accounts, Britain, you know, was was whooping on Leonard in the fight, right? Well, not whooping on him; it was a close fight, but Britain, you know, the old champion was getting the better of it. He crowded Leonard; he was outboxing him a little bit, and he was getting. But Leonard, obviously being the great that he was, was still landing back on him. But when he finally got, you know, he finally cornered Britain and got him and dropped him with a body shot. Excuse me. Um, he inevitably ran right to the center of the ring and decked uh, Britain while he was still on one knee. At that point, you could obviously couldn't do that. And he was promptly disqualified by um, former pro Patsy Haley. And all hell broke loose. Everybody, you know, everybody had their own opinions. Either Leonard threw the fight, there was a dive, there was this, there was that, something happened. You know, why the fuck would that happen? But that was really, really controversial. And again, um, we're talking almost a hundred years ago, just about if that happened today, everybody on Twitter would be exploded going nuts at the lightweight champion of the world 
in a huge mega fight, walked up and clobbered, you know, Roy Jones, Montel Griffin style, <laughs> the welterweight champion, and um, took him clean out and got disqualified for it. People would be going uproaring right now talking about that. So imagine how that was back then. And and the crazy and one of the craziest things about it is, is like nothing even happened. Nothing even came of it. He no, fought. Like no, no, they just they, everyone, you know, Leonard just kind of told him, like, look, man, I lost my head and that was it. Take it as face value. And Leonard was such was so respected back then that even though yeah. people make life's insane stuff, they just kind of exactly. went with it. <laughs> exactly. Nobody nobody was like, Well, okay, we believe him. He's a stand-up fellow. Yeah, he just you know, he got pissed off. All right, whatever. <laughs> And and then like a week and a half later, he he uh, beats the crap out of Rocky Kansas, who himself is an yeah. extremely respectable fighter, and then makes a defense a couple weeks after that against Lou Tendler. I mean, so I almost I, you know what? And when you think about it, like Leonard was the type of dude that he was beating everybody so effortlessly back then that the fact that he was getting whooped on well, I don't, I, I keep on using that word, excuse me. But the fact that he kept that Britain was getting the better of him in the fight and like outboxing him, whatever it was, Leonard might have been flustered by that. Like, what the fuck? I'm not used to this. You know, maybe he did lose his head. Who knows? Like, and when he finally dropped him, he just kind of ran up and was like, you know, I mean, just finish this off without <laughs> thinking twice about it, kind of Dempsey style. But like, I don't know. Who knows? There's there. It was the first time I read about it again from Ring Magazine. Like, there's there's been theories on it that Leonard threw the fight. <laughs> um that it was supposed to be like that but by all accounts like you said man everyone just kind of forgot about it and moved on they're like well whatever you know britain wasn't champion much longer after that anyways no it didn't last too too much longer but the fact of the matter is though bro britain turned pro around 1904 and he ended his career in the early 30s there's no footage of him how is that possible that's almost 30 years of being a pro <laughs> yeah dude that's nuts and it wasn't like he was just some uh, unknown dude either. It was, Whoa, he was man. a pretty he was one of very the top well known. Of the 1920s, absolutely. He was maybe not the same popularity as Walker and Greb, but in terms of respectability and being like a legitimate, you know, just a fighter, yes, he was on the same level as all those guys easily. He got the better of um, Ted Kidd Lewis in their series. You know, he was a great, great, all time great fighter. And he had an incredible chin too. Yeah, exactly. That's that's one of the uh, the ways in which he was remembered back then as having an all time great chin. Crazy shit, man. You know, an, yeah. another another group, a whole this entire group, like just to save time. Uh, there's a whole, you know, they the this group actually has its own name. Un well, unfortunately, like it's extremely interesting. But it's unfortunate how they came about. The Black Murderers Row, a number of the fighters who are considered among the Black Murderers Row or fought members of the Black Murderers Row and themselves were great fighters. Uh, there's either very little or no footage. Coco Kid, Eddie Booker, Holman Williams, Lloyd Marshall, Jack Chase. Jack Chase. You know, there's a number of these fighters that have like just either no footage or they've come up in recent years with like the grainiest of grainy footage where it's like, there is like cool, a there's 30 second seconds of, of something. Williams and that's it. Yeah, dude. It's like, and don't get me wrong. That's, I guess that's definitely better than nothing, but oh, it's, it's almost like a letdown, like a tease. The Lloyd Marshall footage that's been uncovered over the years has been pretty awesome. I will say that. 
the especially the you know the one where um he's fighting in Europe and you see like his signature bouncing off the ropes. Yep. Yeah, or, dude. Like, there's. I think somebody added cool. it up. Uh, it might even have been it might have been Toledo uh, Springs Toledo. I. I'm not entirely sure. I, I I can't remember where I saw it. Somebody added up all the records of the fighters who are like, it's kind of been a fluctuating group. Uh, and there's sometimes debate about who exactly was considered among the black murderers row, but it's like, it's almost like a, a mythical organization. So it's not entirely concrete as far as who, who belongs. And there have been fighters who have kind of been added over the years too. But point being somebody added up the record of all of these fighters. And it was like some of the most obscene shit. Like it was like 1200, it was like 1200, 119 and something, you know, something crazy. I was like, Holy shit, that's nothing. They're just absolutely fucking crazy in terms of like the wins and losses ratio. And to think that there's so little footage of so many of these fighters, or in the case of uh, some of them footage that just is not there at the time. Like, like there's footage of them later in their careers but not footage of some of the biggest fights or most important fights of their careers, you know? I would love to see uh, Lloyd Marshall, Jake LaMotta. Like, LaMotta was another guy who didn't shy, um, didn't, like, you know, was scared away from Black Murder's role and fought a who's who of guys. And Marshall, you know, by all accounts, beat the living hell out of LaMotta, just whooped his ass, you know, from pillar to post, just beat, you know, one of the best performances of his career. And if you see the footage of Marshall, what's out there is some footage of him and his rematch with us with Charles. Or like I mentioned, the footage of him of his fight in Europe, um, a couple of other things here and there. The dude was different, man. You know, he was very slam bang, right in your face style. But like, uh, you know, he was fun to watch, clearly fun to watch. He had a very, very fun style that would work well today, too. He would be very popular today and probably be really successful today. And there's no footage of a Lamada who was an absolute animal during that period. This was prime Lamada. This wasn't a guy who was past his prime at weight drained or whatever it may be. This was an absolute, you know, Lamada who was tearing through dudes and Marshall by all accounts beat him from pillar to post. It wasn't close. And Marshall beat his face to a pulp and just whooped on him. I would love to see footage of that fight. You know, Marshall, to see the one of those guys at their absolute peak and great, you know, in clear, concise HD footage would be great. Uh, to see Charlie Burley, like you mentioned, you know, there's fighters of, um, there's a footage of his fight against Oakland Billy Smith, but that's it. You know, and you get a sense of how great Charlie um, Burley really was, but you'd rather watch it against guys who really would have tested him or against some, you know, fellow all time greats. Like I mentioned, the Holman William footage that just uncovered, you know, less than a decade ago or so. It's only like 10, 15 seconds. That's it. You know, um, I mean, it's cool that you can still see that a glimpse of anything but at the same time it's just like you know you're feeling for more you know and, and, and it goes at that time period man there's a there's a lot of great fighters from that era that you just like what the fuck how is there nothing out there they were doing things but if you look more into it um there was reasons for that i'm not even i don't know the all the um the details on it but there was something going on with how film was preserved back then and how other stuff was going on but it definitely led to an effect on a lot of stuff just not being documented I think that another kind of element that came into it too is that how film rights and how video rights and stuff were handled because before a certain time, you know, uh, fighters had nothing to do with that. 
or the average fighter had not a whole lot to do with that. And then, you know, when, when fighters, the number of fighters who started becoming more like celebrities, namely, I would say probably Jack Dempsey started negotiating more and more the, the rights to what was filmed of their fights. And so I think that that probably changed a lot of shit, but then especially in the forties and fifties, when TV really entered the equation and it was like, you know, it, it became corporate and stuff and got much bigger, um, yeah, it complicated matters quite a bit, but even uh, like Charlie Burley, you, uh, we meant we mentioned Ezard Charles, Ezard Charles versus Charlie Burley, and I know Ezard Charles was like I think twenty or twenty one at the time. He was fairly young, but like a middleweight version of Ezard Charles would have been pretty cool to see. Granted, how skilled and quick he was as a heavyweight, and he never really got bigger than like one hundred ninety five, two hundred pounds, and that was him as a fairly at his heaviest. He was probably better at like 185 or so, but at like 160, 165, even just out of curiosity, I would have liked you know to see how that looked. But um, I talked to you about this before, and I guess I brought up Harry Greb earlier. I might as well bring up Ray Robinson. That's one of the other popular entries into the why don't we have footage of X, Y, or Z, you know, type of discussions. And <clears throat> almost every single time, people say there's no footage of Ray Robinson in his prime, or I guess what they mean to say is there's no footage of Ray Robinson as a welterweight, which is something that has actually gone around for decades and decades. And it's been, you know, uh, cemented as one of those things that everybody knows because it's one of those things that like Ray, uh, uh, Burt sugar and stuff like that used to repeat. Oh, there's, there is no footage of Ray Robbins, Sugar Ray Robinson in his prime, you know, shit like that. And it was like, okay, I got gotcha. you. said it on the on the Robinson documentary, the same exact yeah. thing. There's we don't no even footage. know where it is. And he was like, this and, is like not having the early Sinatra recordings, you know, and, it's the most damning, exactly. damning thing ever. And then they were showing all these clips of Robinson annihilating guys, clip, clip, clip. Well, they mentioned there's nothing out there. We have nothing on him <laughs> in his absolute prime. And it's a shame. <laughs> Which, which is just, I mean, it's just a bit of an exaggeration because number one, there's footage of the Charlie Fusari fight, which was his final welterweight, uh, uh, his final defense of the welterweight title. So there is footage and there's also actually quite a bit of footage of him as an amateur lightweight. So we, we can at least get an idea of how blindingly fast he was, which he was, he was totally fast. And in any case... It's just a little bit of an exaggeration. Of course, we wish we had more Ray Robinson. I, love, I mean, who everyone, people, I'm sure would drop wild money if they had access to a real uh, Robinson Kid Gavlin either fight. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Those would be some cool fights. Uh, and I mean, even though he was definitely much older and advanced in his career, Robinson Armstrong. Oh yes. Oh my all means. Oh my God. Yeah. Definitely. Just, you know, I'm sure that that fight was a route, uh, you know, by all accounts, again, nothing really substantial happened to that where Robinson carried him, but just, you know, the passing of the torch, the history aspect of it, all that. Yeah, sure. exactly. Just out of curiosity. Uh, the the two fights from that era before I'm going to try to segue this into something, I would, again, would die to, I always wanted to see was Willie Pep, Sandy Sadler too. Um and for various reasons, you know, people have, everyone's always said that that was Pep's finest hour. 
Like, there was never more brilliant. He put on the best performance of his career. He went in on Sadler, man. And there's the photos of it. There's a famous photo of Pep, and he's leaning in. He has his fist up like that, doing the double thing. You see Sadler leaning back, just absolutely flustered and kind of leery, you know. And, it like, Pep not only regained the title, it wasn't a route, though. Like, Sadler beat the shit out of him, too. They said, you know. Yeah, Pep he showed his like toughness. He exactly. Yes. He had to go yeah. through hell. He had to go through absolute hell to win that title back. At the end, they said it looked like Pep was just mugged, you know, and he still was able to, like, squeeze by that. That shows you how tough that was. And there's no footage of that fight. Like, you know, there's footage of Pep out there. Like we mentioned, not a ton of it, but there is footage of him. You can see his brilliance, especially against, I think, a Ray Famichin, for instance. You can really see um, how brilliant he is with his footwork and how he really goes on because he put a pasting on him. But the fight that he put the absolute everything together and he had to use every ounce of his skill, his tricks, everything together to, to, to overcome him for the only time in their series he was able to beat him and is not out there. And that's a damn shame. Same thing also with the Zale and Graziano fights for Matt, for that matter. Yep. One and two. That's, um, that's what I figured you were going to say too, yeah. Yeah, there's super grainy footage of the second one, I guess, right? From, like, I don't know, an overhead like or something. a home video, for, yeah, or yeah, something. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you can, even from that bullshit, you can still see how vicious it was between them, what was going, you know, to a degree. But, the, again, there's nothing out there of the two of them. And that's crazy, too, because if you see those photos, it looks like an absolute monster movie, right? You know, Graziano, his face wide open, bloody, screaming at him. Zale kind of doing the same thing, tearing into each other. My God, man. You know. They were both punchers. Neither of them were particularly slick. Both threw fucking haymakers. You know, yes. like just, I mean, you want to talk about, I'm already on the the manual laborer kick, bro. The man of, uh, the man of steel, you know, <laughs> steel worker himself, fucking uh, uh, Tony Zale. You know, he, he basically, I remember he was, well, I don't remember. I remember reading a story that he told about when he was young working uh, in a steel mill and that he had seen that molten steel, they used to have, have to carry it in a bucket and that he like was among kids, like young kids who would do this shit. They would carry molten steel, like, you know, in a bucket, transport it. And that you had to hold the bucket with your hand, like, but that it was right next to the molten steel. And that if you moved your hand, like you were going to lose your hand. And that he said that he had seen that shit happen. Like that it had like torn the fucking hands or like the skin and the flesh right from kids' hands. That's the kind of dude that we're dealing with here when we're talking about Tony Zale, a very hard fellow who served in the war too. And exactly. He he was out for four years before he had a handful of fights before he yeah, by the time that even happened, he was like older. Yeah. Yes, he was he was past it. You know, he had a long career, and then when he came back at that point, he was already past his prime. Graziano was a rampaging maniac in his prime, you know. And Zale had always said, if I wasn't out for four years and still on the comeback trail, um, I would have, you know, blasted Graziano out of there a lot easier earlier on or whatever it was, but instead they you know, made two all-time great fights, like ridiculous, and which, and they went on both ends of the spectrum, you know what I mean, they said the first fight, Graziano beat the holy hell out of, uh, hell out of Zale for the entire fight until Zale, you know, rallied back to knock him out in the last round, and then the second fight, Zale did the same thing before Graziano rallied back to knock him out, so, but 
there's nothing there, you know? Yeah. And there's there's a lot of photos. Yes. There's a lot of photos, thank goodness. So you can kind of get an idea, but it's not the same. You know, you but I'm either saying, way though, though. You from those photos, bro. Have you ever seen photos that look like you almost think that they were like staged because of how vicious they look? Yeah, Graziano's they're like crumbled into a ball and shit. Yeah, and Graziano's face, the way he's like throwing a punch, and you see his mouth wide open screaming, like you know, come tearing into him. And Zale's same thing, like they just it looks like out of straight up something out of a movie, like out of a Rocky scene or some shit. Like it looks doesn't look real but right, that was dude. real life and that was two of the most vicious fights ever Ray Arcel, everyone else that talked about it said they've never seen anything like that like they thought someone was going to die that night like you know it was absolute insanity but you know to talk about all those things i wanted to bring it into how for us at least when we were younger a lot of fighters i never thought i'd be able to see footage of but thank That's god true. for youtube and all the, you know, and all these modern things now, I've been able to see a lot of fighters that I was only able to read about when I was just younger. And I never thought I'd be able to see footage of, which has been pretty awesome. Yeah, dude, that's, there's no question. I remember hearing about like the, I remember hearing about like Yuri Arbachkov. I remember that's hearing about exactly. Yoko Gushiken. I remember hearing about a number of Orzebek those. Orzebek Nazarov, Yanni yeah. Bungu. A number of yeah, a number of African fighters, a number of Asian fighters. Uh, I remember hearing about a lot of these fighters, or well, not hearing, but reading about a lot of them in the ring or seeing them ranked. Because I mean, like, dude, I'm not gonna lie, I never really liked looking through the rankings that much. Like, I, I would look, but I wasn't scouring them because it, there were a lot of names I didn't know, and it's just it's just words on a page like that it's just names on a page and not really any cool stories i liked the stories i always liked the history stories and the the anecdotes and shit that was what i always liked about the ring and other boxing magazines like uh boxing illustrated and shit but for me uh you know yeah dude it's, Dude, it's, it's it was, crazy well, to be able to to be able to actually have access to that video after reading about so many of those fighters for a long time. And it's and it's every type of fight you can think of. You know what I mean? Like when I when we were kids, like you mentioned, all these guys I would read about in rank um, until either they you know made it on boxing after dark. Sometimes, like for instance, I read about Philip Holiday when he won the lightweight championship and he knocked out Jeff Fennick and other guys. I had never seen footage of Fennick, but I read about him, so I knew that was a big deal. And then he was going to appear on Boxing After Dark fighting Ivan Robinson, who I had seen. I was excited about something like that. You know, Daniel Zaragoza was another dude who I had watched briefly his second fight, his first fight with Hector Acero Sanchez, and then fell asleep during it because I was just a young punk who couldn't handle, you know, who couldn't hang back then. And then, but I, I just read about him, you know, I read about him being in a career and everything. I had seen footage of Wayne McCullough. It was randomly switching the channels. He appeared on ABC one time. They showed a clip of his uh, title winning fight. So I was familiar with him. Then on Boxing After Dark, he's going to fight him. I got, I got hyped for shit like that. Um, years late, a few years later, I had been just reading about Orzabek Nazarov for a number of years and never seen anything of him. And then Showtime showed a brief clip of him knocking out the late, um, Levander Johnson so you know that I always thought stuff like that was cool that I finally was able to see clips of them eventually but like you mentioned you know when YouTube came around that's when I was able to do and it wasn't like that early on either 
you know, it took a few years because YouTube, when I first came out, there wasn't a lot of stuff uploaded and it took a while. Yeah, and they and, were getting rid of everything. Like as soon as shit yeah, was getting uploaded, it lasted like a week and then it was gone. Quick. Mm -hmm. But once people started getting consistent, there was a few pages out there that really started uploading like the obscure shit. And not, a, not all of it is still up there. Like you mentioned, some of it still gets deleted, but a lot of these guys, like you meant, a lot of the Asian fighters, a lot of the guys from Africa, a lot of, you know, different continent, uh, different countries over there, like different just lower weight fighters, other fighters who just never had a big following, these obscure fights that Lee Groves wrote about in his book. <laughs> All this shit was like starting to That's come up. That's a good yeah. point. Yeah, dude. That's a, you know, there's a, a Lee Groves who we've talked to, like, it's been a while, but we've talked to him on this show before. You should go check out if you're into this kind of stuff. He has a book called Closet Classics, Tales from the Vault. And it's about the fights that, you know, by now you might've heard about some of them, but when he wrote it a number of years ago, they were less known and several of them were not available on YouTube, but have since become available, which is super cool. I mean, it's in a way it's like, oh, you know, it's, it's, it almost sucks because there's some mystique about it and it's cool to read about, but to actually be able to see it too is, is really cool. And uh, yeah, and you sending me over and going like, oh shit, dude, I just found this thing that, you know, there's a whole bunch of fights that you've sent me that I've just been like, I never even knew it was there. Holy shit. There was a club fight that Lee wrote about in his book called Leland Hardy against Ike Padilla. Two yeah, it was, it was great. Late 80s, late 80s, late 80s. And I think the fight was from what, 88 or 89 that I sent you? Yeah. Absolute bananas. Like one of the best <laughs> wildest fights you would ever see. <laughs> and... It, all, it has, like, less than 500 views on YouTube, which is absurd because, like, it was voted one of the best fights in the 80s, regardless of division. Two guys that just didn't, do, you know, one guy that was only, like, 2-0, oh, another one that was, like, was, like, a .500 or something. Like, this was a ridiculous fight. Like, if it happened today on television, people, Twitter would break down. That type of shit. Like, it was incredible. Yeah, it was knockdown, 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 knockdown. Yeah, yeah, man. And so... To be able now to have this at your fingertips is pretty incredible. It's pretty awesome. And totally. um, it also, I hate to mention it, but since we're in Hall of Fame season, it also gives um, the people who vote no excuse not to do their just homework because you have all this at your fingertips as well. You know what I mean? Totally. No, totally. And uh, it's it's a really great tool. Just because the information is there, of course, doesn't mean that people are actually going to seek it out or – you know, you got to have the curiosity in the first place. And a lot of people just don't have yeah. it, but nonetheless, it's, it is there and to have access to it. It's super cool. Another and, guy. You know what's, what's really cool too. Um, I mean, the, the other thing I just wanted to mention was pretty awesome is that not just for fighters, that the people that upload the entire shows, because a lot of yeah. the fights get uploaded. It's cool to see the fights, but it's always really, it's rare for me to be able to find like the entire show or something from start to finish or the intros yeah. and all that, just to get a feel of being back in that era. And when the people do that, I get hyped. Yeah, dude, I think that, uh, well, just speaking frankly, they have to be careful because of shit like ring walks, they'll play music, and if the YouTube yeah, algorithm yeah, 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 catches yeah, the totally. music, they'll ding that shit for copyright, so, and and now the YouTube algorithm's gotten, like, actually, they run some AI algorithm that's gotten pretty smart and catches a lot of fairly obscure shit, actually, so they have to be careful, but nonetheless, dude, I, I yeah, I appreciate those, those people making those, uh, putting those, 
videos out there. And I was just going to say another guy that reminded me that I remember hearing about before I saw him was David Eisen. And now that was way back in the day, of course. But I remember hearing about David Eisen in like sometime in the 90s, because obviously Olympic boxing was like more of a big deal back then than it, than it is now. But um, I remember hearing about him because he made an appearance at the Olympics and was like good and had a not trying to be an asshole, but a memorable name, you know, like a, he had a name that stuck out, you know, David Izonrite is what he went by back, back then. And so I remember that like sticking out. And so when I finally got to actually see him and you know, kind of sucks that he was like getting banked around everywhere, but by that time, but he was definitely a promising amateur, but yeah. And, and it is kind of cool also, since we're actually there, uh, Felix Savone. I remember reading a shit ton about Felix Savone and never really getting to see a whole lot of like uh, <clears throat> the more memorable fights, like the David Tua fight. Like that shit didn't happen. happen. Uh, that, sh that shit was not footage that was like going around. So to be able to see like uh, amateur greats like Felix Savone and stuff like that. Yeah. So Pretty when he first, you know, H, to my knowledge, the only time HBO aired um, amateur an amateur thing was the Goodwill Games in like 1998 or something, right? 98, 90, around that time. And um, I, I remember that because it was uh, that was like an HBO Docs and After Dark special. They aired it like, you know, Lance, Roy Jones, and um, Larry Merchant were the commentators for it. Happened at the garden. Happened in um, the theater at the garden. And Savone fought Devaro Williamson in the main event. I think I posted the twit, uh, the clip on Twitter, <laughs> year or something. But like, it was cool. It was really cool. For again, like you mentioned, to finally see Felix Savone, because amateur boxing at that point too was already being shown, especially with the Olympics being shown at random ass hours. I definitely, unless I was lucky, I wasn't going to catch it. So to finally see him, and to act, you know, to hear Lampley commentate one of those fights and get hyped like he would for a, like a major title fight, the way Savone knocked him out. And that's what makes it feel like Savone, feel like Savone. Like, you know, when the way he flattened Williamson with that big right hand and everyone was just like, big right hand! You know, because he was, that was an exciting yeah. fight. Savone was hurt early on. Williamson came out swinging and he was like, you know, Williamson's like, you hear Lampley, big right hand by, um, by Williamson. Another one. Savone backing up past the score. Back right hand by Savone, it's over. Like, you know, like that shit was cool. Dude, it's uh it shit is uh, poor Devero Williamson, because dude could could chuck him, but when he got knocked out, he got, he like, got touched, knocked he, out. he went to sleep, hence his yeah. nickname till to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when he got knocked out, like when he got knocked out, he got knocked out. <laughs> Unfortunately, he got 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 pretty good. But no, you know, uh, it's really cool to actually be able to see, you know, a lot of those kinds of fighters. Yeah. But um, anyway, I, I, there was another fighter I was going to say um, that I've heard a lot about over the years. And I was just going to squeeze this last one in here on my part before we got out of here. If you have any more, feel free. But a guy who I uh, read about in magazines a number of years ago, but I've obviously gotten more familiar with research wise over the years is Les Darcy a guy who is talked about quite a bit on a whole different circuit that you will never hear almost ever hear American, you know, historians and shit talking about. Never. Absolutely ever. Light heavyweight, right? 
Yeah, well, he was in a few different divisions, but yeah, middleweight, light heavyweight. Great fighter too, man. Died extremely young, a la um, Harry Greb. And because he died such a long time ago, and because he, for various circumstances, um, didn't, you know, didn't have a good reputation when he first made his way to the United States, he's basically not, you know, forgotten today. Yeah, died young. Uh, one of those fighters that a lot of people were certain would accomplish a lot more and go on to become oh, a yeah, world they, champion. They, they all thought that he was going to be a world champ eventually, too, man. And he had the reputation to do it, too. He, he beat some incredible guys like Eddie Magudi and a few others during his escapades here. But he, um, I think it was, did he get sick? Or that, that was, or he caught something, right? But he was also called, I don't, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of layers to his story that's, you know, to get into. But well, now I'm about to look it up because I'm about to look it up because I th I was thinking about it as we were talking and I was like, oh, you know, Les Darcy, that's another one. But I want to say it was a truck accident. Let me double check now. I want to say, but let me look. No, you're right. Pneumonia. All right. <clears throat> Excuse me. And people also said, too, that he died of a broken heart or something because of <laughs> the allegations thrown at him and what was going on with him. I, I don't know, but that's a great call. You know, it's one of those guys that um, fascinating fighter rarely ever mentioned. He's never mentioned, actually. And because he came from the same era as Stanley Ketchell, they you know, their careers didn't really cross paths, but they were in the same realm. If both had lived, potentially they could have fought. But, um, yeah, you know. Yeah, just, for sure. He, because of, like, he, like, I'm sorry, because he goes from that era, it's more or less that he's forgotten now because of that, because who else is going to be forgotten? Who's going to be more remembered, Ketchell or, you know, Les Darcy? Well, I think I'm seeing a, a technological, you know, common thread with a lot of the fighters and the fights that we've mentioned that they've a lot of them have been around the same time, kind of in that like 1900 to 1930 ish range, not all of them, but a lot of them. Cause I mean, yeah, I think a lot of it's probably technological, but man, yeah, like in, in terms of preservation and stuff like that, but yeah, dude, there's so many fighters that have basically been lost from that, from those years. I mean, you know, even fights that the promoters demand that the shit gets destroyed. Um, I don't think there's any footage of Danny Lopez actually winning the featherweight championship from David Cote, right? I think that the footage gets cut out after a certain round when they realize that, um, you know, <laughs> there was no chance in hell that Cote was going to win the fight. And, yeah. Well, similarly to Jack Johnson Jeffries, where it cuts off as they're, you know, like they don't even, you exactly, don't get the full yeah, the stoppage. Make sure that they stop the fight right before that, yeah. And I, and I think the same with Jack Johnson, uh, Tommy, uh, Tommy Burns, where like they're, you, you get to see it, but not the ending of the fight. But you don't see the were, ending of it. Yeah. There's, there's that clip of like Burns about to like fly over the rail. It looks like he's flying over the rail yeah. while John Humbling him. And then everything just goes full stop. Yeah. Right they're there. like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We can't yeah, allow this okay, white boy. Okay. Okay. Stop the footage. We can't have this anymore. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, it's illegal to film a white guy getting his ass fucking reamed <laughs> yeah. by this fellow. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah, terrible. So no, <laughs> there are a number of fights like that. Yeah, where there's like, what the fuck? 
well, I guess not a number, but a, a memorable hand. I mean, no, there's a few of them, you know, and people would pay crazy money to be able to see footage of it if it would exist. Totally. Um, I remember people telling me, you know, not too long ago that there were certain fights that have since been uploaded to YouTube that they were sworn to secrecy, never to actually show it to anybody. But like I said, it's been since uploaded to YouTube, and I wonder how they feel about that. Well, not the people who own it, because, but like the ones who originally had it. Because that, that back then they thought they had something super rare, you know, and all that. But <laughs> well, you know, I mean, dude, it's just like impossible to keep. Like, I mean, nearly impossible to keep a secret like that these days. Like, if you're once it goes to the internet, like once it gets put out into the ether, that shit is it's out. <laughs> there's no, there's no stuffing Pandora back into her bag. <laughs> however, <laughs> however the analogy goes. <laughs> Yeah, dude. Now it's uh it's unfortunate that we're absent a lot of the footage of a lot of these fighters. But um look, dude, I, I appreciate you helping set the record straight on a lot of these fighters so that these people know so that so that they can stop coming at us and stop getting mad about these fighters. There's no there's no footage of. We we're just gonna redirect them to this to this podcast episode now. Yeah, man, it's it, some guys. I have no, I have a feeling nothing's ever going to be uncovered. Other ones, it's out there. Just look, even if it's small, it's something. Totally, dude. Keep your keep your eyes to the skies. You know, keep going to the rummage yeah. sales and the garage <laughs> sales, and yeah, man. You know, buy I'm that fifty new cent shit every day that I never that I never knew existed. Whether it's actual fight footage or interview footage, which I find I find all history stuff fascinating. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just a history buff, whether it's boxing history or just history. Like, I, I love history shit. And whenever I find new stuff, whether it's, like, a new Sonny Liston interview or it's going to be this or this guy jump roping or whatever it may be, I'm going to be into it. I'll probably send it to you or whatever because it's cool stuff. You know, like um, the the Marciano, the, yeah. the Marciano uh, funeral stuff the other day. Yeah, you know the interviews. I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like a newsreel of Billy Khan of you know talking about Billy Khan punching out a robber in nineteen ninety. Like shit like that is 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 cool. You know, it doesn't have to as it's it's boxing related, it doesn't have to be a fight, but there's always new stuff to uncover. There's a world out there of all this cool stuff. And anytime I read something that catches my eye, the first thing I'm gonna do is look on YouTube to see if it exists. That's that's literally got to be the first thing, dude. And there's actually, you know what? I, hopefully, I'm not giving up any sort of weird secret here. But there are sites that allow you to search unlisted videos. So, sorry, collectors, but if you've uploaded it, there are ways to actually find it. That shit ain't that secret. So, go ahead and uh, give those sites a Google and get to searching, motherfuckers. But seriously, um, look, there's there's an entire there's all sorts of possibilities. And I mean, I do keep my eyes open for like garage sales and stuff like that. I don't go to them a lot of the time, but um, sometimes I'll look on Craigslist and those kinds of places to see if there are things that like new uncovered gems might be discovered. But look, it's, it's tough to go through everything. We are missing some footage of some of these fighters, but we also have a lot too. There's a lot of shit I still haven't seen, but... Either way, uh, like I said, Eris, I do appreciate you doing another history episode with me and setting the record straight. In the meanwhile, before 
we do another either history or true crime or otherwise episode if you are on social media. For instance, if you are on Twitter, follow my boy Eris Pina at Punch Zone Eris. Follow me, Patrick Connor, at Patrick M. Connor. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. But uh, you should, what you should do is you should subscribe on YouTube and subscribe on whatever podcast app it is you listen to us through. That would be very much appreciated. Throw us a rating, all those sorts of things. And Eris, we will be in contact, bro. Thank you. Absolutely, man. It's been a blast as always. All right, everybody. Take it easy. Later. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.